The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. I always promise and I'm always right, so you know you're here for a good reason. Today's buzz, well, I don't know how old all of you are listening around the world. I know I'm old enough to remember this, the phrase reading and writing and arithmetic. Oh, I won't sing anymore. Don't worry about it. Let's get started. Education, that's what we're talking about, of course. Education now has a real and dramatic potential to directly influence businesses and entire industries and vice versa. Well, my goodness. So we've got this influential factor going back and forth. How can this all happen? Well, We are seeing increasingly digital student-university interactions from how teachers teach to how students receive the teaching to how teachers guide, how students talk to their teachers, back and forth. But perhaps even more important, new topics like the Internet of Things have been added to the curriculum. Yes. I don't know if we have an advanced degree in IoT yet, but there may be one coming up soon, and we'll find out from our panelists in a few minutes. Investments in research also can disrupt industries like healthcare, retail, utilities, and more. These are research investments on the side of universities. So we're seeing teaching, not just let me take you in the classroom to this new topic and let you learn and grow. It's what is the university doing to feed this research back into society, back into culture, back into business. So very nice shift here, and I think it's a very important one. We have a panel of experts, and I will caution all of you out there. I won't tell you to take notes, but I'll say get ready to learn. We have a couple of educators on the panel today, no surprise. First up, I'm very pleased to welcome Suda Jamte. Uh, I'll spell her last name for you, J-A-M-T-H-E. She's the CEO of a company called IOT Disruptions, and she's an instructor at the Stanford Continuing Education School. Now, Suda has sent me a fascinating quote from the movie iRobot. That's I, Robot. And it's a 2004, what they call neo-noir dystopian science fiction action film. It starred Will Smith as Detective Del Spooner and Alan Tudyk as Sonny. And let me just tell you that, let's see, anything important here? The budget was $120 million. I don't know if that's important to anybody, but it's probably small by today's standards. And Will Smith was not only the star, but the executive producer. Background of the movie, in 2035, which is in our future, highly intelligent robots fill public service 
service positions throughout the world, operating, un- operating under a set of rules to keep humans safe. Despite his dark history with robots, ooh, dark history with robots sounds interesting, Detective Dell Spooner investigates the alleged suicide of U.S. robotics founder Alfred Lanning and believes that a human-like robot murdered him and Bridget Moynihan who plays robot expert Susan Calvin uh, she's on Blue Bloods by the way discovers a conspiracy that may enslave the human race this is getting exciting here's the quote that Suda picked for us and it's a quote from Detective Del Spooner human beings have dreams but not you you are just a machine can a robot write a symphony can a robot turn a canvas into a beautiful masterpiece and Sonny says can you Suda Jamti, love the quote. How are you, Suda? Good. How are you? I'm fine, so thank the, you. Are you a you, big are you are you a big fan of of uh, dystopian? I, I don't know what, even what that word means. Dystopian science fiction action films and and Will Smith and robots. Talk to me, Suda, and welcome so much to the show. I'm a huge Will Smith fan, definitely. And I do see a lot of robo movies. I can't wait for the day when robots are all around us, like an iRobo, and they do stuff for us, and they are part of our our life fabric. And I can't wait for that day. And with this quote, the funny thing is, the robo is a robot's name is Sunny, and Sunny replies back. When he says, can, you, can a robot write symphony? And he's making the robot sound like an idiot in his tone. And Sunny re- replies back saying, can you? So the average human being does not go about writing poetry and symphony. So when we say robots don't behave like us and they're just machines, we are setting the bar very high and they could do all the normal things that we could do. In fact, uh, two days back, I, I found that there is a Japanese literary society. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. It's called Nikkei Hoshi Shinchi Literary Award. And uh, a robo wrote a novel two days back. And it, went, it didn't go into the finals yet. It just got into the competition. And novel mm. is something that we think that, you know, requires creativity. And it's not just thought that an algorithm wrote this. That is the world we are in today. We certainly are. Suda, let me ask you a question. Robots, are there any robots? Uh, oh, my goodness. I don't know if I'm, I even want to ask this, but it's already out. Are robots teaching yet? Are robots at the Stanford Continuing Education School? Are you? I won't, I won't say are you going to be replaced by a robot as far as a, an instructor goes anytime soon. But do you see that as a possibility in terms of enslaving the human race? Are they going to become our professors? Wait till the next guest hears that question. Go ahead, Suda. Any thoughts? I think robots can do teaching too, but not replace the existing professors of today. But supplemented in different ways. So maybe they'll be maybe they'll be the the um, uh, the RAs in the dorms, and they'll be the PAs at the university level conference classes. Oh, I hope <laughs> I haven't opened a can of worms. Suda, so pleased to meet you, and thank you again for joining us. Love the quote, and it's a great start to our conversation. Although the topic is education and business and life, and not robots specifically. What a great way to start. Let me welcome our second guest. It's Dr. Vince. 
Kellen. He is Dr. Vince Kellen, Ph.D., and Vince is the Senior Provost, Senior Vice Provost, I gave you a promotion, in Analytics and Technology at the University of Kentucky. And Vince has sent us a quote from none other than Thomas Jefferson, who would be scratching his head if he turned over in wherever his grave is and said, what, they mentioned a robot in a dystopian science fiction movie, and then they mentioned me? That would certainly be a little bit of a conundrum for him. And he, uh, by the way, uh, Thomas Jefferson lived from 1743 to 1826. He was an American founding father. He was the principal author of the Declaration of Independence in 1776. He was elected the second vice president of the U.S. and served from 1797 to 1801 under John Adams. And in 1800, he was elected the third president of the United States and served from 1801 to 1809. Very busy guy. And here is the quote Vince has selected from Thomas Jefferson, an educated citizenry is a vital requisite for our survival as a free people. Dr. Vince Kellen, how are you, Vince? Very good, very good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. I hope I didn't upset you when I asked Suda Jemti a couple minutes ago if robots are going to be replacing instructors in higher education. You weren't upset or offended, were you, Vince? Oh, not at all. In fact, that's, uh, in, in subtle <laughs> ways, that's already occurring. Oh, my goodness. Well, first tell me about the Thomas Jefferson quote, and then tell me about that. Well, these days, in, in, in certainly in the United States, and not just here, but globally, there's a lot of countries, a lot of people who are starting to question higher education and its role, and, uh, and begin to continue to, to, to drive the, the main focus of education, which in the United States has been historically around uh, jobs. And, uh, but it's interesting to sit back and, 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 and think what Thomas Jefferson was thinking, in that education is critical uh, in democracies in order to have an educated uh, citizenry voting and maintaining the democracy. And uh, I always think back to, uh, to the Thomas Jefferson quote when we want to talk about what's the purpose of higher education in today's uh, free societies. So now tell me, robots as teachers, is it happening, Vince? Are we threatened by it? Are you uh, worried about it? Are you going to have a, an assistant standing next to you as a robot collecting papers or passing out assignments or checking attendance? What do you think? Well, not exactly in that form. I'm not worried at all. Uh, there's a class of technology called adaptive learning technology in which the technology adapts to the human being as, as the student is going through the material. Uh, and it is giving uh, guidance and recommendations and the right level of, of difficulty for the learner. That technology has been around quite a while, uh, and it's starting to continue to grow in its sophistication. And I think when you look out and you see some of the algorithms out there in Facebook and Google, especially with uh, Google's deep learning networks that are out there now, that this class of technology is going to continue to grow so it won't be a robot with a physical form there, but it's it's mm -hmm. it's already you already have algorithms helping learners uh, uh, in, in their studies. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very intrigued, and I think a lot of people are with the timeliness of the quote you selected, Vince. And no, we're not going to talk politics, but educated citizenry just s screams out from the page at me as we're in such an interesting and very different type of election year here in the U.S. So you want to make a non-political comment, or should we just leave that one alone? No, no. Um, the, the part of what you know is, has been concerning, certainly me, is the complexity of everything. We're talking about Internet of Things today, and underneath it is a whole set of complex technology. Mm -hmm. And to an extent, as 
our civilization continues to get more technically rich and complicated, uh, it's harder and harder for the average person to understand what's really going on here. And, and so this gap in knowledge about uh, what's driving our society today in terms of technology, I think, is a bit of a problem. And so we need to educate more people on the, the technical complexities of the life around them, uh, especially as economic and technology trends continue to advance as they have. Thank you very much. Very, very wise, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us, Vince. And let's turn to our third panelist, who is back for the second time in eight days on one of our Game Changer series. He just seems to be popping up on all of our shows because he's just so smart and charming. It's Panit Sapol, of course, a member of the IoT and innovation team at SAP. And Panit has sent me a wonderful quote from Yoda in The Empire Strikes Back, the 1980 fantasy action film. We've got some real movie buffs here on the show today. And for those of you who have been living under a real rock, not a proverbial one, Yoda is a fictional character in the Star Wars space opera franchise. I love the idea of an opera with Star Wars created by George Lucas. Yoda first appeared in the 1980 film The Empire Strikes Back. In the original films, he trains Luke Skywalker to fight against the Galactic Empire. There's an instructor in there. He's training him. And in the prequel films, he serves as the Grand Master of the Jedi Order Order, and a high-ranking general of clone troopers in the Clone Wars. And an interesting side note, Panit may not know, the makeup artist Stuart Freeborn designed Yoda's face partly based on his own face as well as partly on Albert Einstein's. There's a little trivia for you. Here is the quote from Yoda. Always in motion is the future. You must unlearn what you have learned. Panit Seppel, welcome back. How are you? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you for that introduction. And I think I also get the subtle hint I am not going to appear on your show for a while now. Oh, no, no, no. Come back every week. It's fine. You're cool. You're, you just know what's going on. And I appreciate that. You're always welcome. I want to call you my friend. You are. Panit, interesting quote. Are you a big fan of Yoda or The Empire Strikes Back or George Lucas or any or all of the above? So, yes, I am a big fan of Yoda. My absolute favorite character um, in, in the Star Wars you know, um, theme, story, whatever you want to call it. And it was uh, disappointing that uh, we'll have to see if they will find a way to make Yoda reappear again. But, uh, and also as a a Star Wars uh, purist, we do not wish to talk much about the prequels because we believe that the original films and now the most recent one are more in line with each other. And the only reason I picked this quote was for no particular reason except that uh, it just seems to be on my mind, the Yoda and Star Wars since the holidays, really. And uh, it just seemed like a good trend to continue from last week where we had another Yoda quote, if you remember. Mm, I do. And then when I read this, the context of this quote is actually something perhaps not very relevant to what we're discussing today. But if you just pay attention to the words, it sort of speaks to where we are and what we as humans must always be prepared to do. When we get set in a rut, when we get so set in our ways that we, you know, uh, are you know, uh, incapable of accepting new thoughts, that's when we stop learning. That's when we are unable to grow. And if we are to keep pace with how things are changing, we have to be prepared to unlearn so that we can learn again and constantly be doing that because 
always in motion is the future. If the future is now, as we've been talking and we will continue to talk during the show, we have to have that attitude around us. And, you know, I thought it was relevant today because some of the most impactful professors that I have come across in my life have been the ones who have challenged status quo and have challenged us to throw out uh, conventional thinking for the time being, think new, and then bring it back in to see how we go from where we were to where we ought to go. And those professors have been the most impactful for me, and I thought this was a little bit of a tribute to them. Very, very interesting. And, Puneet, I'm, I'm so pleased that you included a quote that has the word learn and unlearn. Let me just toss this back over the fence to Vince Kellen and then to Suda Jamke for a second. They're both instructors. And what do you think? Vince, do you agree in, in terms of modern university learning, modern postgraduate learning, modern learning about, you mentioned we need to educate more people on the technical complexities in our world today as far as having an educated and uh, and free citizenry. Yes. And so my question to you is, do you agree with this in, in terms of current learning modes? Do you tell your students you must unlearn what you have learned if you're going to absorb what I'm teaching you today? Vince, any comments on that aspect of education? Well, there's, there's no question you get a lot of dogma in, in some of the educational disciplines. Uh, but I think great instruction uh, helps students disassemble that dogma. And so, uh, yes, I, mean, I won't say I come to class and I say, okay, as soon as you're going to unlearn, uh, we're typically always learning new things or trying to teach new things in the class, and we're trying to walk students through that, those very difficult concepts or skills that, they're, that we're trying to teach. Uh, so it, it might not come out of our mouth as unlearning, but there's absolutely no question that uh, part of education is to free the student of excessive dogma uh, in intellectual thought because uh, change is, as, as Benita said, change is all around us. And we have to produce students who can uh, cope and absorb that change well. Thank you very much, Vince. Let me ask Suda the same thing. Suda, do you agree with that statement about you have to unlearn what you have learned? Is that one of your principles in teaching? Absolutely. More than unlearning, we have to unlearn so we can learn more things, but I would focus on learning new things. And before I came to Stanford, I've worked in eBay and in e-commerce for many years. So coming from technology industry, technology industry is reinventing itself every single day, and we see the results of it every five years. There's a whole new technology. So uh, when uh, Google decided to make uh, Alphabet as the big company beyond Google so they could go innovate in various different directions, there is an interesting quote from uh, Larry Page. He says, in technology industry, where revolutionary ideas drive the next big growth areas, you must be a bit uncomfortable to stay relevant. I would focus on the uncomfortable piece because mm-hmm. constant learning is a, diff- is a mindset. It is not just about unlearning, but to, f- to feel uncomfortable willingly so you can learn new things and reset what you have learned in the past. Constant learning is a mindset. I am putting that into Twitter. I love to live tweet while we're on the air. Thank you, Suda. And by the way, anybody who's listening, and I think we have, uh, I think we have uh, Tiffany Stronsky maybe listening with us. I know we have somebody on hold listening to the show live over the phone. So whoever you are, I hope you'll capture this one. Constant learning is a mindset from Suda Jamti. Okay, Suda, you're up first on our segment called What's in Your Cup Today? We'd like to know a little bit about you. So first of all, where are you calling from? 
right now. What time of day is it? And what are you drinking if it's interesting? If not, what would you like to be drinking? Suda? So I'm calling from San Jose, California. It is about 7.20-something, 7.21, I think. So when I got ready for the show, the sun was not yet up. But I said, Bonnie's up and ready. New York is ready. I need to tune into New York time this morning. And cup of tea. I have a, a chai. It's a ginger chai, homemade ginger chai. Mm. I just live by it. And I didn't even grow up drinking ginger chai. But I've kind of perfected it to, over the years. And it just wakes me up every day. I just love it. What, now tell me, homemade, what do you do? Do you do you shave off little pieces of ginger like you get in, in the Asian fusion restaurants, uh, the fresh ginger, whether it's pink or beige or tan or whatever? Or do you have dried ginger or do you grind it? How do you add it to the tea? I actually grate ginger. I, I remove the skin and it's just the, the pulpy portion of ginger. And I lovingly grate it and, and boil it in water and put some sugar, and and then it comes down a little bit, and then I put a tea bag, and then then I put milk on it, and then it, I'd wait for it to raise, and when it all comes together, then yum, it's amazing. <laughs> then yum, when it all comes together, then yum. I like that. I think that's what we all look for in every recipe we make. Sounds wonderful. Thank you, Suda. Vince Kellen, where are you calling from? What time of day? And anything interesting in your cup now, or what would you rather be drinking? Well, I'm, I'm calling from California on some time off, uh, taking in some of the California sun. And rather than talk about the glass of water in front of me, uh, I thought I'd talk about what I would really like to drink. And one of the things that, uh, having been in Kentucky now for several years, I've learned uh, to do is uh, to, uh, although it's been a very difficult learning experience, I want to tell you that you know I wasn't looking forward to it, and, and we really had to study this hard, but, but we started to pick up drinking bourbon. Uh, and in Kentucky, Ooh. there's these great bourbon trails uh, and uh, some great distilleries, and it shares a lot of things in common with uh, the wine industry. So I've been a big fan of the... Nap and Sonoma Valley Wine Tours in California. And uh, last several years, we've been going on all of the uh, tours in the Bourbon Trail through Kentucky. And uh, so it's, it's interesting how each region has some of its differences in, in, in the type of drinks that they like to enjoy. Certainly does. Mm. The Bourbon Trail. Uh, Vince, I, I'm getting a picture here of people maybe with their robots, their pet robots, going along with a backpack, a big backpack, and hiking boots and going from distillery to distillery or tavern to tavern saying, well, we have to try all of the bourbons along the Bourbon Trail. Do I have the wrong image there, Vince? Help me out. Well, it's, it's actually more like a winery. Uh, they're separated at distance, and you drive uh, you know, via car along the Bourbon Trail to visit the different distilleries. And, uh, and uh, uh, of course, bourbon, as it's distilled, it gets transferred into oak barrels and then aged anywhere from mm-hmm. a few to you know, 25, 30 years. And so uh, that's, that's a similarity with the winemaking process, so it's kind of, kind of fun. Okay, well, I'm glad it's fun, and thank you very much. Very uh, provocative comment there. I appreciate that. Not a bourbon drinker, but I'll certainly keep that under under advisement. And Panit Supple, where are you today, and what are you drinking? Or uh, let's go along with the same theme. What would you rather be drinking, Panit? Well, I am drinking what I'd rather be drinking, which is wonderful black tea from the Assam Hills in India. And um, I am in San Jose, and uh, it's promises to be a great day. 
I'm very, very glad. Thank you very much. And as Panit knows, and as uh, as Vince and uh, Suda, I'm trying to get all the names straight here, do not, do not know yet. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. I made the mistake of having an espresso pod of uh, espresso yesterday morning, and I picked the one that was caffeinated rather than the decaf espresso. And I cannot tell you what happened. It was just a, it was a wild and crazy ride, but we did it. So just cool, clear water filtered with a good old fashioned Brita filter, and I have a lovely pink sort of orangey straw today to remind me of the beautiful sunshine and the sunset. We will probably have a beautiful sunset here on Long Island, New York. Guess what? You're all listening to our special series called Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, of course presented by SAP. A shout out to the sponsor of this series, Ira Burke at SAP. And Ira, this is episode 13 in season two. And a little birdie just told me, well, I'm the little birdie. We have just had a renewal from Ira, so we will have a another 10 episodes this year of Internet of Things Radio and with topics like the one we're covering today it's a great thing that the series will stay around for the rest of 2016 so on that note don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we're going to take a quick break and when we come back Suda Jamti and I will launch the roundtable portion of the show so let's just say to our engineer Justin out to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Indeed, let's get back, and we are back, speaking today with Suda Jamti, Dr. Vince Kellen, and Panit Supple, and I have a quick shout-out to Suda, who is an author, and her new book is IoT Disruptions 2020. Did I get that right, Suda? Do we have Suda? Okay, we just lost her. Oh, you are. Good, good, good. Suda, I'm talking about your new book. Is it IoT Disruptions 2020? Yes, IoT Disruptions 2020, the world of 2020 when IoT meets artificial intelligence. 
Well, I love that because in the end of the show, every time we're on the air suit, I ask my guests to predict what's going to happen in the year 2020 or the year or moment or second or nanosecond in time that they want, they can see in the crystal ball for the future. So I still love the year 2020 and I'm glad you include that in the title. Suda, let's get started on our round table. I'm looking at your notes here. Let's talk about AI and we're going to keep in mind that our topic today is education impacting businesses and vice versa, businesses and entire industries, actually. Let's talk about AI and more related to education. You say artificial intelligence is here. AlphaGo is Google's DeepMind algorithm. It played the complex Korean game Go with the world champion Lee Seidel and won the first game on March 8th. This is the beginning of machines becoming intelligent and humans cheering for machines to win over humans. Woohoo! Okay. Talk to me, Sue. Let's get started. So artificial intelligence is not a new field. It has been around with iterative research over many, many decades. What is the big deal now? The reason that I think artificial intelligence is here and now, and I also think it's connected to education, because we are going out of our way to teach computers. So with deep learning... We are actually letting the computers actually take in all the data that we have around us and say, go learn. So in movies, they show, you know, computers flip a book and within a second, it just goes like that and it's read everything. We are actually training computers to do that. And so they are competing with us. And one end in schools and colleges, we are educating humans. And then we are actually doing this to computers where they are getting educated. And we want that world that is where we are going towards. And I have an artificial intelligence called Amy, who is my admin assistant, who does all my meeting scheduling. Half the people who work with me don't even know that she's an AI. And she's polite, she responds, she, she keeps things moving and up and running. So I think that's the world we are going towards. And it doesn't wow. stop at a personal level. It's an industry. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere in industry. It's not just robots. It's actually algorithms, designing, scheduling, logistics, and all kinds of things that's happening. That's beginning to happen already. Thank you very much, Suda. Very interesting. Vince Kellen, love to have you comment on what Suda just introduced for us, please. Well, there's, I mean, Internet of Things has, has hit our student population in a big way, no question. They're adopters of consumer technology and, and, and wearing a lot of these devices. I think the question for higher education is, how can we maintain relevancy uh, in this mm-hmm. sort of environment? And how can we sort of nudge or prod that student along? And I think that's where the advanced analytics and, in some cases, the artificial intelligence will help uh, educators in, in communicating with students via that. Uh, so clearly, I think that's the case. Now, on the other side of it, uh, the application of what I call a really robust, almost full-throated AI to the sum total of what you have to, have to teach a student, we are quite a ways away from that. And, and part of it has to do, we're still learning how it is that humans actually learn. So we're not, not quite sure if we had an AI algorithm to teach us uh, how it would exactly go about and do it. Uh, but that said, with Internet of Things, there's tremendous opportunity to use these approaches to get information into the mind of that student uh, in a little bit better way. 
Vince, do you think that uh, AI and, and algorithms and robots in education are bringing some excitement for students today, uh, students of all ages? And are you seeing older former students come back into the learning system, into the, the formal education system, wanting to learn new things, or are you not seeing that at university level today? Well, two things. i got two questions. The first one is AI isn't quite yet into the curriculum of universities. Uh, lots of universities are doing research on how to do that. There's been certainly a strong tech adaptive learning, which isn't quite the same as AI, uh, but it's coming down the road. Uh, as for uh, adult learners, absolutely no question. Adult learners are constantly seeking uh, new education opportunities in order to be relevant uh, for the, especially the changing jobs uh, ahead of us. Uh, so that's that's been a, a well-established trend. And for the bulk of higher education, uh, not just here in the United States, but in many other countries, it's that returning learner that's really the bigger market. Interesting. Uh, a side note. Well, let me let me get Panit and then I have a side note for Vince. Panit, thoughts on AI, on algorithms, on robots in the education system or not? Talk to us. What do you think? I think, uh, I mean, I have to agree with both Sudha and Vince. And uh, what I would like to add there is that as far as it's relevant to industry or to business in general, this is one area where certainly there is room for a lot of collaboration between academia and uh, businesses because, uh, as Vin said, it is not yet hardcore in the curriculum, but it's coming. Uh, you know, the, the, the thought's already there, and I think there are many alliances between um, corporations and many universities which are propagating and promoting this kind of research and uh, it's only a matter of time before we see this happening more pervasively. Um, it is bound to happen. Now, you know, the time will tell how much and how pervasive, but it's coming. Okay, we have a lot of optimism there. Vince Kell and I have a, a quick side note for you. I've been teaching part-time just because uh, various tech topics in a small PC quasi-Macintosh lab here at the local adult education, community ed we call it now, Vince, and we have seen a tremendous decline in the enrollment in the computer department. I'm talking from five years ago when classes I used to teach on blogging and social network, introducing introduction 101 to social networking and uh, eBay. We're talking about decimating the department where we are you mentioned the word education needing to be relevant and continuing learners we and I keep going to the the uh, head of the department and saying we need to be relevant the community is no longer looking toward us toward this school for the opportunity to learn they're getting it from either their children or their grandchildren or they're going to the Apple store or they're finding instruction online or they're downloading certain kinds of curriculum Vince any comments on on what the continuing ed population really is looking for in terms of technology. Just a quick side note, if you don't mind. Well, in, in the area of, of, of information technology, continuing education is desperately needed in the areas of informatics and artificial intelligence and big data and all of those disciplines as, as students who get credentials in those areas are quickly picked up in the market and there's some shortages there. We see in, in students attending uh, for computer science and information technology type degrees strong cyclical trends. Uh, which really kind of frustrate uh, the employment market because uh, you sit here for half the time, can't find a single candidate, 
And then in a recessionary period where jobs are being shed, there's oftentimes an oversupply. But long term, uh, the future bodes well for um, many of the topics related to information, big data, analytics, artificial intelligence, etc. Okay, well, maybe we need to take up uh, a couple of notches. This is mostly seniors looking for, oh, how do I do a copy and paste, and how do I turn on the PC, and gee, well, those, what do I those, want to do? Those things can be delivered so inexpensively so many other ways. That's right. And so for That's educational institutions, right. you got to focus. Yep, absolutely. So I think we're going to actually phase out the computer department soon there, and it's a shame because it was so much fun teaching there. Uh, Suda Jemke, any comments on what Vince and Panit added to your topic? So I actually teach in the continuing studies at yes. uh, Stanford. So I'm, yes. I'm actually talking to adults, not seniors, but uh, executives and uh, uh, work, people who work in the industry in different realms. It goes back to even Wynn's original point about continuous learning because industry is changing, so people are coming back. So they bring experience from the industry and they come to, back to the classroom. When they are in the classroom, there is something about being a student and they want to collaborate with each other, they want to get their grades, they want to do homework, but then they are bringing all their experience from industry, and it's, it's fascinating what comes out of it. And they're getting ready for their next careers, or they're going to take this and go back to the industry and do something else. Thank you very much. I appreciate that very much on various levels. And Vince Kellen, let's take a look at your topics. We're going to go in a slightly new direction here. Vince, I'm picking up your first talking point you sent me. I think it's relevant at this point in our discussion. You say digital technologies will only be able to transform student learning when these technologies are intelligently personalized, analytically driven, and carefully woven into human-to-human interactions. Can you dissect that for me, please, Dr. Kellen? And then we will have Panit and Suda chime in. Go ahead, Vince. Well, on the one hand, if you think about it, if, if, you, if you try to extend this notion of a completely uh, uh, sort of artificial environment for teaching, in which virtual reality may be used, artificial intelligence may, may be used. In many cases, that environment looks very same, you know, far, far ahead, almost out of Star Trek in, in terms of a holodeck, in which reality and, and virtual reality are, are, are indistinguishable from each other. And oftentimes our conversations on how far technology go and education go in that dimension. I remind people, I said, the day that my virtual learning environment is indistinguishable from my real environment, so much around us has changed. I am not worried about education. I'm not worried about whether I'm going to take the red pill or the blue pill. Mm-hmm. So shout out to the movie Matrix, which positioned that. So in the next, uh, for, for the foreseeable future, it's really about how is technology carefully woven into existing human culture. Human culture does not change that quickly. Uh, and, and technology, in order to be adopted well, has to be very cleverly woven in. And... Uh, and so the, the real question here is, in this technology-rich future, what's the role of the human teacher? And, and I think we've got to get back to our roots of teaching, which is how do I do this in a one-on-one fashion with the student? Uh, how do I uh, facilitate and motivate that particular student? How, how do I connect with that student at a human level? Uh, so our humanity is going to ensure, at least for some time, that this is going to be done very, in a very human-mediated way. And, I, and actually, I got onto this when I was at a distance learning conference 
in another state wondering why we weren't doing this at a distance. <laughs> the people who are educating, the distance learning educators, were all meeting at a conference because we like each other and we like to be face-to-face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's part of human nature. Thank you very much. Panit, thoughts, please? Very provocative topic here. Panit Supple? I wish I could have been a student of Dr. Kellen's and um, because um, it's, it's, uh, I've had the pleasure and the honor of being in classrooms with professors who've had a similar mindset, which is you have to have that human interaction, which is important, but yet, um, you know, throw, toss out the old if, if that is going to hobble you in, in your progress forward. Um, and, and I think it is already happening, Vince, because if you think about it, technology has pervaded every aspect of our life. It's only a question of education tapping into it so that it becomes... The, 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 the vehicle is already there. We just need to load it up in the right way. And because um, so, I think you, we've had many conversations around the millennials and how they conduct themselves and their lives and how that has an impact on their academic progress and so on and so forth. And so we can see that as you know, we progress as a human society, uh, there is no way we can separate ourselves from the technology around us. So, so, so the vehicle is there, I think, if we can bring out that uh, human aspect of how we connect with these individuals, I think that learning can be achieved quite successfully. Thank you. Suda, love to have your comments as well, please. There's something that Vin said in, in his original uh, quote uh, about how, it, you know, it's not just about uh, the whole complex statement he said about it has to be analytical and, and everything. In that, one thing, one word is just stuck in my head, personalized. Students today are demanding that their education is catering to them individually. They want this interaction with the professor. They want the the interaction with the students, rest of the students and the system, but they want it to be personalized. And how can you give that without technology leading it? When there is so much material, how do you know what the students really want? So I'm curious if Vince actually faces that in his class or in, in his interaction with the other professors in this distance uh, learning conference, uh, is there a moment to make education personalized using technology? Vince? Oh, I, I think that's, that's really the opportunity ahead of us. And, and if, you, if you look to the academic Fitbit world, I think that's one of the areas that's leading this. Uh, I've been using the Apple Watch uh, to kind of measure steps and things, and I've also been using a heart rate monitor in my exercise. There's a particular metric in there called heart rate variability in, in, in the more advanced heart rate monitors. That heart rate variability metric actually is uh, known in the, for, for decades here as a measure of what we call cognitive effort. And so imagine uh, an academic Fitbit device worn by a student in which the student's concentration is waning and the technology understands that and then can mm-hmm. either advise the student, hey, take a break, or wait a minute, let's, let's change the material out. That's an example of personalization taking basic biometric data starting to personalize the stream of data. Uh, in some cases, students are going to really appreciate that. Now, some students you know, who don't like to measure themselves may not like it. Uh, but I think this is a big opportunity area is how can you take wearables and other things like that 
and weave them into this sort of human social dimension uh, that's now technology-aided. Suda, good answer for oh, your wow. question. Yeah, the piece, as, as Pete said, the, the pieces are there. It, it's just how are we going to figure out the best way to weave these together in, a way, in, in ways that people are going to want to adapt. Thank you all. I'm going to move on to some topics here in Panit's notes. Panit, let's see what we've got here. The U.S. economy is facing an unemployment, facing an employment shortage or unemployment in the technology space and using academia to help fix it. So this would be a case where academia is going to put the right people at the right time into the right jobs through the right education. Panit, you want to talk about that before we move on to Google's secret weapon, Panit? <laughs> hmm. Absolutely. So I think we've actually touched on that quite well here in terms of what um, you know uh, higher education can do uh, in terms of uh, how, where we are headed and what the curriculum might be able to offer in the future and how we can have personalized learning. But we need. But I think what is happening is there is some research out there that says that when 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 com- when businesses turn around to find somebody who can be quote unquote an expert in the latest and greatest, mm-hmm. they are you know basically struggling to find the right talent. And I think there is a thought out there that our universities are lagging behind in preparing the students for the future. Now, of course, if we talk to, and I have been having these conversations with um, many universities, uh, indirectly, I should say, about what is, you know, what is the career path of their students going forward. And everyone claims that we are with it, we are preparing students for the future, and I don't doubt that they are in their own way, but it just seems that there is a little bit of a gap there between the reality in the marketplace and there aren't sufficient numbers of um, people with the right skill sets as we delve into these newer technologies. But that being said, I think it is widely recognized what, what can be done. As you probably know from my pri- uh, from prior radio shows, Bunny, I have a little, shall we say, partiality to things that have to do with life sciences and healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking into that, and many stu- uh, universities have begun to offer majors in, for example, biomedical engineering, which would and be probably the arena where you would find students playing with the latest and greatest that helps take things further, whether it is with AI or whether it is with, uh, you know, sensor-driven technology and Internet of Things and so forth. And, in fact, I'm told it's one of the most popular majors for undergraduates. I don't know, maybe Vince or Sudha can uh, validate that, but I'm told that it is one of the most popular ones these days. And the reason for that is I think it is being recognized that we have the technology to make a difference in people's lives. Why not ready our students? And in, in from the point of view of not just giving them the tools that they need to be successful, but also train them to think and come up with newer solutions on the go. So you have a very good workforce out there uh, working to make the world a better place. Panit, would you bring in the example you sent me from Lee W. McKnight, the professor of entrepreneurship and innovation at Syracuse, in terms of their social radio? I think everybody would appreciate that. Any thoughts on that? Yes, sure. I mean, uh, so, so, you know, more than 100 uh, partner campuses, companies, and communities were brought together for this program at Syracuse University. It is supported by the National Science Foundation Partnerships for Innovation. 
And the whole idea was the students and faculty are act, would actively experiment with a wide variety of new IoT, Internet of Things, and machine-to-machine applications and open specifications. So that would be something that is very directly uh, that addresses the, this kind of uh, interaction. As, as recently as, I think, a couple of weeks ago, there was an announcement that SAP and the MIT Sloan School of Management is, un- is undertaking a joint exercise in what they call you know, the management practice hackathon. Again, another way to, uh, for students to address real-world challenges that, you know, that, that digital transformation is triggering in the supply chain logistics industry, for example. So many more of these, and perhaps in a more, um, how should I say, going forward, far more formalized fashion, um, these sort of programs will help I think address that gap. Thank you, Panit. Let's get some feedback from Suda and from Vince quickly. I want to cover Google's secret weapon in the battle for IoT academia. But Suda and Vince, any comments on what Panit just brought up about the partner campuses and Lee McKnight? Anybody? Digital health definitely is one of the up-and-coming areas. It's actually what used to be healthcare industry is evolving to a whole new industry because of wearables and Technology. Technology by technology, I mean the whole. There's a whole volume of data that comes from all these wearables. So there is a whole field of uh, uh, data and informatics that is all tied back to healthcare systems. And so the bioengineering and uh, biology, the combination of biology and uh, technology, in some form, is evolving into a whole new field. Wins can talk to that if they have. Uh, he's seeing courses coming up in that. But I'm seeing, I'm definitely seeing a lot of demand for that. Vince? Yeah, in, in, uh, in, I like to say for the 21st century, all things are molecules. So medicine is getting more precise by understanding the, the, the you know, the peculiarity of each individual's human genome, uh, getting very precise in what we call metabolomics and, and how the body metabolizes things and how proteins unfold. Uh, and all that skill is also in engineering side because you have to design pharmaceuticals for that, and then also in 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 just regular engineering in terms of designing new materials at that molecular level. Well, in the world of molecules is a whole lot of data and information technology, and in fact, some of our biggest, most strenuous uh, high performance or supercomputing jobs that we run in our research environment have to do with molecular dynamic simulation. How do molecules behave? And these are all areas in, in, that are going to be underlying the entire 21st century, and we're terribly short of skilled uh, skilled employees in those areas. Thank you. Panit, we got to get to this before. We're actually in our predictions round, but we have to hear, what is Google's secret weapon in the battle for the IoT <laughs> academia? Come on. I should have started the whole show with that. Very interesting. What are we talking about, Panit? Just give me a one-minute well, one well, you know, answer. Well, perhaps the title of, or I should say that caption is more uh, catchy than the, the, you know, the discussion behind <laughs> it because we've already touched on the discussion. So what Google did, uh, I think it was last year, was create a research grant program called Open Web of Things to attract talent to the company. And they also did this to fund and give technical support to promising research groups in academia. So the, the idea was that you would bring together the best minds and the best talent to work on these problems. Not very different from what we're talking about, but they were focused on sponsoring this. And of course, they, they have, I'm sure they have their own uh, agenda behind it. And it's not diff- very different from what Google has done in the past because it's the same type of grant program 
that helped form Google's artificial intelligence outfit, which was fondly called the Google Brain. So, so the point is that this nexus or this interaction or this partnership, this collaboration between you know, businesses that touch people's lives every day and academia is, is, is actually a very, very promising way forward because I think that brings together all the right pieces to come up with that next new um, solution to problems that have plagued us for the longest time. Thank you very much. We are officially now in and almost all the way through our crystal ball predictions round. So I'm going to give you each about 30 seconds for predictions. But I think we've been talking about that all along. Suda Jamti predictions. I know 2020 is part of the title of your new book. So why don't we just pick that one for you? 2020, what's going to be different about this conversation, higher education and digital transformation? Suda, predictions, go. There's a lot of predictions in my book, and in fact, my book talks about how to make those predictions happen, how for, if you're in an industry or if you're an entrepreneur, how to go build them. My personal one that I would bet on is we were talking about uh, bioinformatics, and I believe that is going to become mainstream, and mainstream in such a way that we don't even have to stop and think about it. So I would bet on uh, pills that we would consume or some kind of implants. That those are... Uh, something that's a device. We don't even stop and think it's a device. They're going to consume it. It's going to go inside our bodies and monitor our health and longevity and and kill diseases, and that's coming. I would bet on that. Thank you. Well, I like that. I like if you're willing to bet on that. Appreciate that, Dr. Vince Kellen. Vince, where are you headed in the next year or so, and what do you predict up to 2020? Talk to me. 30 seconds. Oh, I give you a minute. Go ahead. Full minute. Well, in in 2020, I think what what higher ed is going to be really uh, experimenting with and and applying is real-time learning analytics in which real-time data, while the student is learning, just in the example I described about like the academic Fitbit, are going to be used to drive content, drive interactions, drive nudges, reminders, etc. Uh, and there's several leading universities. Uh, I want to do a shout-out to folks at the University of Michigan who really taken the lead on that. Uh, ASU has long been thinking about some of these areas in adaptive learning and then out in Berkeley. Uh, uh, so I think that some of those things are going, to, are going to happen in the next five years. So this notion of real-time data, Internet of Things data, real-time hitting learning. IOT, real-time hitting learning. Okay. And Paneet Supple, I can give you oh, just about one minute as well. Well, thank you so much, uh, Bonnie. And this has been a great discussion. And I've, you know, for my prediction, I'm going to give you an example. And, and the idea being that this is something that's going to happen more and more. Dr. Rogers at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign has designed novel electronic sensors that following you know, a brain surg- injury or surgery, uh, would be able to collect crucial health data. And what it, these sensors do, they completely dissolve in your spinal fluid when they're no longer needed. So this extends the, the, the example that Suda was giving because now we don't have to consume anything. We don't have to worry about its after effects. It's, it's, it's bringing together materials that are not only biocompatible but biodegradable and the end products that are biocompatible. So this takes away the risk and uh, also takes away the pain of how you work with these things. It's already been tried in rats. Of course, that's where everyone starts. (laughs) We are hoping that this will work well with humans because so far medical implants have either been permanent, like, say, pacemakers, 
or they've required surgery to be removed when the device is duty end, which is why I like Sudha's um, thinking that, yes, they would be more consumable so they get, you know, assimilated. And in this case, it would just dissolve. So this is the kind of advance, I think, that we can expect to see. And uh, I think um, just tag on to that, a very different one, something that was shared with me by Vince, uh, totally in a different context. And I think I can see that happening more and more, which is uh, technologies that will help us better measure the success or the potential success or failure of students based totally on non-academic uh, uh, you know, data. So if you, if you can imagine, there actually has been a study, which thank you, Vince, for sharing with me a while ago, but I've been thinking about it. You know, they tracked students' behaviors and predicted their cumulative GPAs within 17 hundredths of a point of their cumulative transcript GPA. And wow, so, Puneet, so, so Puneet my friend, we are... Com- how accurate it was. We are completely out of time, and that's my accuracy, is we are ended at the end of the show right now. Panit Supple, thank you for putting together this wonderful panel. Dr. Vince Kellen, currently University of Kentucky. Thank you, Vince Sudajamti, uh, author of IoT Disruptions 2020. Get it, read it, take a look, learn. Justin and the Business Channel team, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you for listening, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I hope it doesn't dissolve. I hope it's not too consumable. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you wearing? for go out and be a game changer today talk to you next week here on the business channel bye bye thanks again for tuning in to internet of things with game changers presented by sap the best run businesses run sap to keep the conversation going tweet your questions and comments to twitter hashtag sap r-a-d-i-o Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.